Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And today we're going to rebroadcast Friday's show. Um, but before we do that, I want to give you a couple of announcements because I don't want you to miss a couple of events that are coming up. One is tomorrow at Cal Performances at UC Berkeley, um, 8 o'clock. Trey McLaughlin and the Sounds of Zamar are performing. That's tomorrow, October 3rd, 8 o'clock. And uh, also, Cal Performances has a really wonderful list of uh, events coming up. So you don't want to miss, uh, just go you know, to their website, calperformances.org, and make sure you check it out. There's something else coming up on Sunday, October 27th, Myra Melford's Jazz Platform with the David uh, Varelis Trio featuring Marcus Gilmore and Rashawn Carter. Should be pretty nice. And and then there's Spiderweb by Nicole uh, Mitchell and Josh Kun at 7 p.m. Um, at the Hearst Hall. So um, I guess it's all going to be <laughs> at 7 p.m. at the Hearst Hall on October 27th, which is a Sunday evening. And I want to give people a heads up because our dear sister, uh, Gail Dixon, is a featured artist for the October exhibition at George Gordon Gallery, and it opens Friday. So that's really, really exciting. Um, i trying to think, what time is the opening? Um, let me give you the name of it. It's called... Um, well, it's Gail Dixon, October 4th is when the exhibit opens on that Friday, and it's through the 27th at George Gordon Gallery, 406 14th Street in Oakland. And the phone number there is 510-465-8928. And Friday, the opening reception is 6 uh, p.m. to 9 p.m. And um, and the gallery is open earlier than that if you want to get a earlier view before all the folks come in because... Sister Gail is really loved and respected uh, artist, illustrator, and uh, fine artist and illustrator. And you might know her as a Solly uh, from her work uh, with the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. She was one of uh, the few women artists in the uh, the newspaper. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's going to be really awesome. And then for our rebroadcast this morning, we're going to be featuring first an interview with Andrew uh, Saito, whose uh, work play El Rio opened last week at Brava Theater in San Francisco, but it continues through the end of this month. And uh, we speak to Leslie uh, Currier and Damian Brown about Marin Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, which closed last Sunday, but the conversation is awesome. And they have a new season that's going to be opening up um, next year. So, yeah, um, if you don't know about this wonderful theater company, you should definitely listen in. It's a really wonderful conversation about this production, which was an all-people-of-color cast, mostly African people, so African diaspora folks. So that was pretty cool. And then we closed with an interview with uh, Stella Heath, um, She's going to be speaking about her, the Billie Holiday Project, which is going to be having a one-evening performance at Feinstein at Hotel Nico, and that, I believe, is on October 10th, which is next week, next Thursday. So, yeah. So, anyway, 
it's 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 relevant and it's always good, you know, to have wonderful people join me on the air. So enjoy the show. And Friday we're going to have a live show. <laughs> uh, peace and blessings. Bala Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer for the African deity, Eshu Legba. A deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims, so we should definitely take a minute, pause, and exercise our options and not think that what's directly in front of us is the only path available. So we are so excited to have um, in the studio... Um, I think this is, uh, I'm not sure if it's Idris, um, Anifa Moshe Cooper, or Andrew Saito, um, the playwright for Rio, El Rio. Um, so who's in the studio? <laughs> is Andrew here? Oh, hey, Andrew, I know we don't have a long time. Congratulations on the opening of your play, El Rio. This Friday, September 27th, and going all the way through Sunday, October 20th, at Brava Theater Center. Um, so it's a it's a collaboration, right, um, with um, the uh, the smaller theater company um, that uh, Idris is one of the founders of. Correct. The Black the Black Artists Contemporary Cultural Experience the ACCE. Right, right, yeah, and and you are no stranger to the airwaves. Uh, we're we're so happy to have you on, even even briefly, you know, because you're getting ready to take a flight. Thank Where you, are you going? I'm flying back to New York. Oh, you're in New York now. Okay. Which, which is where I live now. <laughs> I I live there these days. Oh, okay, yeah, because you used to live here. Oh, so you got I your did, play all indeed. ready to go, and now you're gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you are an international playwright whose focus, focus you focus on indigenous and cross-racial stories, hybridity, and struggles against colonialism, and its long-lingering footprints. You've worked with Peru's legendary theater collective, uh, Grupo Cultural. Um, you how do you pronounce that? Okay, Yuyachikani. Yeah, and Cuba's Conjunto Cultural. Let me finish that one for me too. So it's Conjunto Cultural. Cody Macau. 
which is a, okay. a, um, a arts and a multidisciplinary arts center created in Cuba in the early 90s during the special period um, when there was very little uh, people were kind of starving and yet the government felt it was important to still support art so they created this people's art center very close to the Bay of Pigs. Okay, yeah, yeah. And and then keep on going because I don't know how to pronounce um, Asociación and then the rest okay, of that. Okay, Asociación Chaco Sun is uh, indigenous. It's a Mayan theater ensemble in Guatemala and my collaborator and dear friend Joaquin Valdez and I have been collaborating with them for a few years, about two years now, two and a half years. And um, mm-hmm. we had a show earlier this year at La Peña Cultural Center and then at El Teatro Campesino called Men of Rabinal and that was about the... Um, the Rabin Alachi, the this five hundred plus year or six hundred plus year old Mayan dance drama, which is the only known uh pre Hispanic play um mm. that from before the conquest to still be performed in Mesoamerica. Mm, nice. That sounds awesome. I'm so sorry I missed that. Wow. I need to well, follow we'll you. Bring it back. We'll be we'll we'll be bringing oh. it back. So at Oh Hope super, super. Okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, and so, you know, the kind of work that you do is just so, you know, phenomenal. Um, I remember when we spoke last, I think um, you had a play at, um, as a part of the uh, Bay Area Playwrights Festival. And, um, oh, yes, correct. Yes, and that, yes. Yeah, and that was, you know, that was a really um, a story that we don't hear about a lot. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, about this particular work. Um, you know, you own, you, uh, you hold a, B, a MFA from the Iowa Playwrights Workshop, and Idris uh, Anifa Woshe Cooper does too, and, and she taught there. <laughs> and yes, you were a Fulbright. No, go ahead. Fulbright scholar, correct? Yeah. No, no, you were going to say something about Idris. Oh, I, I don't, I don't remember. Okay. She's wonderful. Yeah, and yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, you were um, a Fulbright scholar in Papua New Guinea, which sounds really correct. fascinating. And did a play come out of that? Uh, a screenplay came out of that. It has yet to be made, but I still have hopes Ooh. and faith that it will, that it will end up end up uh, bec- end up becoming uh, something for audiences. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I want to let you talk a little bit about about this play because um, the time is ticking away, and and then we can come back to um, some of the things you 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 care about that you're really passionate about. Um, <laughs> So tell us about El Rio. So El Rio is the very first play I ever wrote back in um, 2002, actually. And it, um, I wrote it as my undergraduate thesis at, for the Ethnic Studies Department at UC Berkeley. That's where I majored. That's what I majored in. And it, the play takes place along the Texas-Mexico border, and it follows um, two women, a black Seminole woman named Francisca. She's a veteran of, of the Iraq War, and then she basically saves, uh, saves a just-arrived refugee from Guatemala, a Mayan woman named Rosario, and she's about to be raped by – is that how the place starts? So I'm not really spoiling it. She's about to be raped by a border vigilante, so Francisca saves her, saves her life, and then the two of them are – on the run from the law, and the play basically mm. follows the Rio Grande. Um, well, you know, the plot is 
sort of linked to the course of the river, and they are being pursued by Reynaldo, who is a um, somewhat professionally stagnated border patrol agent who's looking for his chance to rise in the ranks and find glory, and he views them. He's hoping to catch them as a um, as a way to do that. Hmm. Wow, wow. But this is your first play. How many plays have you written? <laughs> oh, I've lost count. It's 20-something, 20-something. But this is the yeah. first play I ever wrote, and it is very much there. There's the imprint of of three professors um, who, who I was staying with at that time. The first, Shedi Moraga, who was my first um, first playwriting mm. mentor. She, and wow. I took her Chicana, Chicana Latina Theater Workshop at, at Berkeley two years in a row, and then I studied with her in her playwriting classes at Stanford. And so she, it's a play, and I became a playwright because of her. And mm. um, and then also she dealt a lot with – she had us look a lot at issues of, of borders. And so the border I, – I don't even quite know how it became the Texas-Mexico border, but um, – but that just became the right place. And mm-hmm. and then I was also taking a class with Taya Miles called Africans in Indian Country, which is a which was a seminar that focused on black native shared history, relations, et cetera, um, throughout mm-hmm. the US US history over the past few centuries. And so Taya is a black woman and her husband is Native American and so she has her, her scholarship, as far as I understand, her scholarship before meeting him was focused on black women's history and literature, and then she met him and fell, she met and fell in love with this Native American man and realized that that the two of them uniting, if you will, wasn't a totally new or unique phenomenon in American history or U.S. history, better mm-hmm. put, um, and that the the um, how to put it the um, the weaving together of black and native narratives in this country is pretty old. It's probably as old as the history of black people, the presence of black people in this country or in this continent, better put. And so, um, so that's how the, this one main character, Francisca, this black feminine woman, came about was because I was, I was um, taking Taya's class, and as a mixed race, hybrid, culturally hybrid person myself, while I am neither in my own DNA neither black nor Native American. I still was very drawn to um, the Taya's field of study, and mm-hmm. so she was. A, she and Shuri were my closest mentors on the project. And then the other character, Rosalia Chen, who's a Maya Achi woman from the village of Rio Negro in the middle of Guatemala. Um, Rio Negro is the site um, of a massacre in, I think, 1982. There was a village that did not want to. Um, they were ordered to be relocated. So that the government with World Bank funding could build a hydroelectric dam, but it, that when that dam was built, it was going to flood their village. So the government told them to move. They didn't. They refused to move. There were threats. The men left, thinking that everyone else would be safe, that they would be the targets. But then these soldiers and paramilitaries arrived and um, massacred everyone who was left, which was women, senior citizens or elders and children, very few survivors. So Rosario is a survivor of that massacre. 
And I learned about that massacre in a class with a third professor at Berkeley, Claudia Carr, who her class was um, called Indigenous Communities and International Development. And we looked at how giant conglomerations and institutions like the World Bank and the IMF had great sway over indigenous cultures all over the planet. And um, this case of Rio Negro in Guatemala was one case study. We also looked at Alaska, West Papua, I think Hawaii, and, and mm-hmm. um, community in Amazon. And so that, that, that was the stew in which I was in my very early 20s. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that's the stew I was in at, at, at Cal, and um, it all sort of coalesced into this play. And, and now 17 years later, um, Idris is doing a marvelous job directing it, and mm-hmm. and um, she she first read the play when she was a panelist on the Global Age Project at Aurora Theater in 2012. When I was in Papua New Guinea, I sent I did it. I was in Papua New Guinea, so I revisit this play every few years, and or have been, mm-hmm. and um, you know, lie dormant for a few years, and I'll come back to it. And so in 2012, I don't know what inspired me, but I was in Papua New Guinea. And I completely rewrote the play from basically mm. the ground up. And while the plot and characters are the same, and some of the scenes are kind of, um, you know, are similar to what they were originally. Um, mm. I cut the cast from eight to, to four actors. And that's the other main characters. I mentioned the two women and Reynaldo, the sport patrol agents. The play is united by, by El Rio, that, who gives the play its title, and that mm-hmm. character played by, by Carla Pantoja is the Rio Grande as a person, right? Or as a person embodying the river or the border. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. she not only gives life and voice to the land, but she also portrays all the other characters in the play, and there are a lot of minor characters. And so they are basically... Um, she she she's literally the border, and she's also she also plays the people who live on the border, right on both sides, mm. Mexico and Texas, and mm-hmm. and she's a shapeshifter, she's a trickster, she's a narrator, and and in her her narration takes the form of gorilos, and gorilos are a traditional northern Mexican song form, which during the time of the Mexican Revolution were used as a form of journalism before TV or radio, and so. These singer-songwriters would sing songs. They would compose and then sing songs about Pancho Villa and other like the, the events of the day. And they would go around around the villages in northern Mexico, um, to telling to keep people up to date. So she she that and that was always my um, vision back in 20, 2002 was to have the play have corridos in the play. But at the time, I felt incapable of writing them and so in a way that this play the original version of this play was beyond my artistic skills at the moment so i mm-hmm. in a way i've had to mature into a playwright capable of actually executing my original vision wow how fun right you know like just sort of coming back to a work that in its genesis is, is perfect, but then you have to live some more and get some more skills, and then you revisit it and you birth this this more mature, um, you know, entity. That's really great. 
And uh, and you are going to be coming back because I noticed that you and Idris are going to have um, a conversation in October when you return. Yes. Um, so you won't be here for opening night this weekend, but you'll be back, um, let's see, uh, Friday, October 18th, through uh, Saturday, October 19th, and then Sunday. Um, Correct. Right. Super. Correct. And which which day is the panel? Um, I mean, the panel, but the discussion with Idris is it going to be every evening or in the afternoon on the twentieth, or just one of those? I I suspect it's on Saturday. The um, I mean, I, pardon the nineteenth. I, I suspect it'll be on Friday. On Friday the eighteenth, I suspect so. Okay. All right. Cool. Super. Super. Um, do you have to dash? <laughs> we can have it. We can take a few more minutes. Okay, super. I just wanted to um to talk a little bit more about um, you know, the uh you know, your your own hybridity, you know, sort of being um from multiple cultures and, and also wanted to just say uh Cherie uh, Moraga of the um this bridge called my back uh, fame. Exactly. I was like, yes, Oh my yes, god, yes, like yes. for real, for real? Like you had all these powerful women professors, like you know, when you're just like a newbie <laughs> in in higher yeah, education. Yeah, it was really a, like, it was really a real blessing. It was really a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. And and hopefully, you know, they'll be able to come see the rebirth of this work, right? Um I, I hope they're I around. Emailed I emailed Cherie. Claudia will probably come see it. She saw me in a probably now. Um mm-hmm. And then Taya has lived long within Michigan, but I'll send her, I'll send her the video. Yeah, yeah, because this is such a tribute to to their ah, scholarship. You know, you know, coming through you, <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> I mean, to have a student like, really, <laughs> Andrew, really. Yeah. Well, thank you. you know, thank this you. is like the biggest tribute that anyone could give, um, you know, a, a teacher to be able to produce work that demonstrates your understanding of, you know, the philosophy and intentions of, of the scholar. Mm, well, thank you for saying that. that. That means a lot. Yeah, yeah. So talk about yourself a little bit more. I mean, you're just like, the work that comes through you is like, oh, my gosh. Thank you. Well, so I am the uh, grandchild of – no, 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 pardon me. I am – I am the, I'm the grandchild of survivors of the Japanese-American internment, specifically my father's parents met in Manzanar when they were incarcerated during mm-hmm. World War II. And mm-hmm. I am the great-grandchild of immigrants from Japan, Austria, and I believe the great-great-grandchild of, of immigrants from Ireland. Um, and my mother... May she rest in peace. Was the oldest of seven children. Uh, grew up in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, a little coal town, coal and steel, or steel town. Pardon me, steel town outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And um, when she was 13, her family all moved to California because her father mm-hmm. couldn't stand working the steel mills in Pennsylvania anymore. And um, and my grandfather. Joseph Carlton was rather notoriously racist, and he um, he oh, so he was rather notoriously racist. To give you an example, he prohibited his youngest daughter from watching the Cosby Show. Mind you, this was in the '80s before before everything that's come out recently. 
you know, it was a very innocent program. And mm-hmm. he, but he he would not allow her to watch the Cosby Show. So anyway, so he had seven children. Six of the mm-hmm. seven of his seven children married people of color of all different races. So really? <laughs> me, and all, me and all of my cousins are mixed race. And I am half Japanese, half white. Two of my cousins are half black, half white. And then five of my cousins are half Mexican and half white. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, people say, write what you know. And um, Marcus Garley, who was my one of my teachers, yeah. he was my teacher before, and he was an amazing writer and phenomenal teacher. Mm-hmm. He writes, as he puts it, he writes about black communities in transition. And he is writing what he knows. He, you know, his father, he grew up in West Oakland. His father, so he's not, sorry, he's a preacher. Um, you know, he was, you know, grew up very much in, uh, in that black community, in the black church. And, and, but yet, what, when I grew up, it was always in an extremely mixed race and even international, in a way, international community. And mm-hmm. This family, right? That had, you know, people from all over. And, and so, um, so I was always very aware of, of course, my Japanese heritage, but also, you know, um, that I had these European ancestors. And then I was, you know, my first babysitter was my aunt from Mexico, you know, born in Mexico, <laughs> who was an immigrant. And, um, and then my, my African-American uncle in Georgia from Tipton in southern Georgia, he, uh, he's basically my second father. We are extremely close. And he has this large – he also has a lot of siblings. And um, so when, when I go down to, with him to southern Georgia, I am entirely embraced by this very, you know, this very large southern black family. And so, um, and so I've, I've almost never been in a monoracial environment myself, right? Mm-hmm. And so my experience as an Asian-American man, as a Japanese-American man, has pretty much always been also, first of all, that I'm mixed race, but also has been in a larger multiracial, multicultural fabric, uh, which is why I was drawn to ethnic studies. And I didn't major in Asian American studies. I majored in ethnic studies, so looking at all of the diversity in the United States. Um, and so, and so I think that's why I'm drawn to stories of interracial um, encounters, if you will, and hybridity, because that's, that's what's in my DNA. And so that's why El Rio has, uh, has black, uh, Chicano or Latinx and, um, and indigenous characters. They're also white characters, but all the white characters are played by Carla Pantoja, who's a Chicana actress or Whiskerfish, which, which we talked about last time, which is about Japanese characters, but they're in Peru, and so they're Japanese-Peruvian, and they're, there's also this prominent Afro-Peruvian character and an Aymara indigenous-Peruvian character. And so it's, I, I love those spaces where, um, which in a way could, well, no, that one, it, they can only happen in the United States, but, but, but almost most potently and most frequently these spaces exist in the United States. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. This is so interesting. Wow. And, you know, only 
only through art can you, you know, show that movement so well, right? I mm. mean, yeah, I mean, you know, as an artist, you can you can plot it out, <laughs> you know, in in these yes. various, you know, plays, and then you can circle back, <laughs> and and then continue yeah. again, and yeah, yeah, wow, it's it's it goes to show you how how much of the ore that one needs to mine these this, these riches. You already oh, own. Sure. You're already a part of you, huh? Mhm. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. So, yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm bubbling up some new plays inside me, and one of them is going to be uh, me, a fictionalized version of me, and my cousin Jimmy, um, mm-hmm. and uh, my who's half black, and my cousin half half black, half white, and my cousin David, who's half Mexican and half white, and it'll be the three of us through a <laughs> seance trying to communicate with our racist dead grandfather. Oh, wow. So wow. we'll see when I write that. But that that's, 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 that'll probably be pretty good movie. So is that a, is that a new uh, genre for you, sort of calling up um, dead people, or, or have you done that before? And how successful well, were you? <laughs> I think that will be in terms of specific fans, and this will be on, in a play form, but I don't to actually do it, but oh, maybe I should have researched. That, that's in a way it's new, but in a way, ghosts and spirits have long been in my work. Mount Misery, which I believe mm-hmm. you saw, have lots of mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't so much the ghost of young Frederick Douglass, it was Fred, young Frederick Douglass himself, but a lot of people read it as a ghost story, um, which is fine if they want to have that interpretation. El Rio has ghostly, some ghostly characters in it, one in particular. And so, I mean, I will say that I'm always drawn to history, and I do feel like um, connections to what came before can, I mean, it makes, it makes some of the richest storytelling and can really, you know, even if it's a story set in the present, like El Rio is having that um, connection to, like, an open door to the past and then, co- in a way, conjuring conjuring that um, those spirits and inviting them inviting them into the now I think can really make for fantastic storytelling mm-hmm. yeah yeah you are a phenomenal storyteller wow wow thank you, thank you. yeah yeah and um, so why did you move to New York um, how come you're not here anymore oh, it's, the theater, <laughs> it's the theater theater capital of of the United States and one of the theater capitals of the globe so I I Oh, I moved. Okay. I moved there in order to uh, advance my career. Okay, and is it going well? Um, as you know, it's not that you're there. It's going well. I've greatly expanded my uh, theatrical community, and although ironically, mm-hmm. since moving, most of my most of my work in terms of presenting my plays has been back in California. So, you know, what does that <laughs> mean? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll be the bridge. Um, you know, um, between the two uh, coasts. Oh, I'd be honored. I'd be honored. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Cool. Well, gosh, I definitely want to be in the house when you come back and talk to Idris. And, um, uh, excellent. Wow. And, and yeah, we yeah, look forward to welcoming yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Super. Yeah, yeah. Well, safe travels. And, wow, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. And uh, maybe the next time we talk we could um, incorporate um, – your um climate activism you know um that, oh, that you have 
embarked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I oh, think great. definitely. Well, mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Just one minute on that because it's so important. So yes. I'm about to start a, a job uh, in New York City at the Climate Museum, which is the only museum in the United States to dedicate to climate change. The oh. um, the mission is to cultivate a wide climate citizenry by which people talk about climate change with much greater frequency and then because people are concerned but kind of stay quiet about it um Mm -hmm. the global climate strike this past week notwithstanding and so talking about it with regularity as a necessary step towards taking action and so i would encourage this is an issue that is so urgent it's undeniable that this is happening um and it affects everyone regardless of where you're living uh what your what your race is what your religion is what your socio what your wealth level is this is um it's the most dire moment and and we need all hands on deck and all voices and any skill you have can be used towards this effort even if you know you love to cook okay cook a meal for for uh for a bunch of climate activists so they can have a meeting right um Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to talk with anyone about this issue, especially as I become more knowledgeable and more involved. But um, I do want to put out a call to an activist group, which is international in scope. There's a thriving Bay Area chapter, and that is Extinction Rebellion. So if you just look up Extinction Rebellion. Extinction Rebellion. Or, oh, I like yeah, that. Yeah, Extinction Rebellion or Extinction Rebellion uh, Bay Area, you will be able to find um, – Find find info on them and 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 probably join their efforts. So, oh wow! Anyway, nice. thank you so much, Wanda. I so appreciate the time, and I look forward to seeing you in the house in a few weeks. And um, okay. and I appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome, Andrew. And uh, safe travels. And yeah, look forward to seeing you in um in a few weeks after your plays had a chance to like have a few runs and. Knock out the kinks and just get all ready for you to be present and say, "Oh my gosh, it's so wonderful!" <laughs> Excellent. I, I have high hopes. I have high hopes. Listeners have been fantastic. Oh yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you've got some great folks, you know, representing those those marvelous characters you've developed. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> all right, okay. you take care. We'll talk soon. <laughs> you too. Okay. Bye bye. You're welcome. Bye. So I want to let audiences know that um, this weekend, this Friday, um, is a uh, – let me get the details here. Uh, just a second. Um, let's see. I was just looking at it. Um, this Friday is a pay-what-you-can uh, preview, 8 o'clock, at Brava Theater Center in the Mission in San Francisco. And uh, and then opening night and the party, after party, is on Saturday the 28th. And then Sunday there's a matinee at 3. Um, each Sunday, the October 6th, October 13th, and October 20th are matinees. And the Friday, Saturday are 8 o'clock uh, performances. And, uh, and again, um, the weekend of the 18th, 19th, 20th, closing weekend, um, there are going to be discussions with uh, the playwright whom we just spoke to, Andrew Saito, and director Idris Cooper, Anifa Walshe. And um, tickets are opening night, 35, general admission, uh, 25, early bird, 20, 
and and then pay what you can on the 27th. And then it says, no one turned away for lack of funds subject to availability. And I think that is throughout the run. So that's pretty cool. And I wanted to give you... um, wanted to give you the information about where the, the theater is located. Um, oh, here it is, 2781 24th Street in San Francisco. And the phone number is 415-641-7657 or info at brava.org. And, again, uh, Brava for Women in Arts, Brava Theater. All righty. So while we're waiting for our next guest, oh, uh-oh, <laughs> to join us, um, going to play a little music. Um, I was thinking about uh, Amakela Gaston's Nature Boy, just because we're talking about rivers and migrations and ancestors. Very strange, enchanted boy. They say he wanders very far, very far over land and sea. A little shy, sad of but very wise was a he. Magic day, he passed my way. There always spoke of many things. Fools and kings, all this he said to me. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love. Magic day, he passed my way. And while we spoke of many things, fools and kings, all this he said to me. It's a love and me 
Thank you so much. So that was uh, Michaela Gaston. And um, <laughs> let's see, what are we going to play next? Um, we might stay on the uh, the river themes. Um, <laughs> oh, I like this one. Uh, we're going to play Ooh Chow. Love that one. I was going to play I've Known Rivers, but I really like Ooh Chow.
So that was uh, Dwight Tribble. Uh, ooh, child, love that song. And, uh, oh, I think that might be Damien. <laughs> Good morning, Hello. Damien. How are you? Hi. Good how rising, are you? Wanda. I am well. Good rising, uh, Leslie. Uh, Leslie is, no, she didn't make it, um, because <laughs> I was supposed oh, to call her well, back, and I've been like, she yeah, can, <laughs> yeah, she's in her office. Can you text her while we talk, <laughs> or Absolutely. something? Um, okay, cool, Absolutely. cool. Congratulations on this wonderful, wonderful Midsummer Nice Dream. It is so lovely. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I've been dreaming about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Mhm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it it is a good thing. Um, so so tell me about you know the vision of having this, you know, melanated cast. Like, whoa, and and we we like we're like in Wakanda or something, right? Um. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> Kind of, you know, with, with Shakespeare, you, you can you can take few liberties with the language, but you can definitely take some liberties with placement. And um, mm-hmm. we wanted to be very careful about how placement was perceived. And um, there were, as I as I said before, we have a lot of smart people in the cast and a lot of passionate people, and we wanted to be very sensitive to cultural differences. As you may know, we have Indian in the cast and Filipino mm-hmm. in the cast. So yeah. we wanted to we wanted to pay respect to the um, mythical existence of fairyland at the same time um, embrace those bodies that were present on the stage. And um I think we found a happy medium, I think. <laughs> mhm. But um Yeah. There was um definitely a lot of discussion around it. And um mm-hmm. we we walked carefully through it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this and there's a large cast too. I mean there are a lot of you all. <laughs> yeah, it, well you know, this this time around it's normally Theseus and um, Oberon is a shared role The same person does mm-hmm. it And Hippolyta mm-hmm. and Titania But mm-hmm. I I wanted More bodies So mm-hmm. They were okay with splitting those Roles up because Oh it, okay it, I, wanted that, I wanted that presence I wanted that presence mm-hmm. And I'm glad that, that uh, Leslie was absolutely okay with that And um mm-hmm. Yeah, and closer to what I wanted to see. So I really appreciate all of the uh, highly melanated actors coming out auditioning <laughs> in Marin because it doesn't happen much, you know. For one, it's across the mm-hmm. bridge, and, you know, it's, when you're an equity actor, it, it, it may be worthwhile, but when you're not an equity actor, it, it can be a burden. So mm-hmm. I was uh, very happy. That so many did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And um, are any of these um, actors, is this their first time, um, you know, um, on the stage at um, for the 30th anniversary of um, Marin uh, Shakespeare Company? Is this their, like, debut there? Yes, many, most. Hmm. I believe that nice. the, um, the ones who have, if I, if I can say the uh, OGs, if you will, would be, uh, mm-hmm. well, myself, <laughs> um, uh, Catherine, Catherine Glenn Smith, she's amazing. She's been there a few times. And mm-hmm. Eliza Boardman, she's been there. She was with me last year with uh, Pericles, and she was also in, I believe, was it Twelfth Night? Uh, she was in another production there. And, and she's, mm-hmm. we, know, we know the run. And Terrence. Terrence as right. well has been there. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, I believe, was, uh, was the first time. And mm-hmm. what was really pleasant was my debut there. I believe it was Othello. That was right. a young man who was, in, who was in school, who was in the audience mm-hmm. at one of yeah. the matinees. And, um, and now he's, Jacory Pierre, he's now on the stage with me. In this production, so that's really wow. Good. Yeah. 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 Wow, yeah. that's amazing. And also, and also Michaela, who was at uh, I believe Oakland Tech, and wouldn't help mm-hmm. with, with their production, but I believe the Fawn, and they came mm-hmm. to the production at theater first, and she's on the stage. So that mm-hmm. all feels great. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, here's Leslie. Hi, Hi. Perfect timing. We're just talking about all these wonderful actors, um, and some of whom, um, you know, this is their Marin uh, Shakespeare Company debut. But not the last time you'll see them on our stage. They're fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then I was also thinking about you know um, your artistic staff. I was um, looking at. You know, you've got composers, you've got, you know, what Christopher Grant, co-composer, um, uh, and then you've got Regina Evans, costume designer, and uh, and your scenic designer, um, uh, Mel Bratz, um, like, she is awesome. And, yeah, I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the folks that we don't necessarily talk about because they're not on stage, but we see their you know, the work behind the stage is, is sort of facilitates, you know, the production that we are witnessing in the audience. Sure. Uh, Chris Grant is just a really special composer. His when I when I listen to his work it's really contemporary and I can only describe it as weird. He just uses strange sounds and instrumentations and I thought this will be perfect for the magical world that we're trying to create with this production. And Chris mm-hmm. allows us, has allowed us to use his original music as our pre-show music, so you get to hear his music for an hour before the show begins as well. It's really, really oh. cool. And, mm-hmm. and Regina Evans, our costume designer, she is just one of my heroes in life. Um, she she uh, was just nominated for an award for her one-woman show, 52 Letters, which is about her experience and others' experience with sex trafficking. It's one of the most 
powerful and important pieces of theater in the Bay Area um, in in recent memory. And and Regina sheds a very brutal and powerful and true light on the plight of young women who are um, often against their will um, uh, sold and trafficked and live in a hell 24-7. And the Bay Area is one of the central locations for this kind of of hideous and and heinous crime uh, against these young women. Uh, And Regina's plays just... um, it it's it just makes you makes you want to help and and Regina has a vintage clothing store in Oakland called Regina's Door, which is both a clothing store and a sanctuary for young women uh, who Regina helps uh, get out of this life. Um, so she's an amazing social activist, performer, costume designer. She's when I first talked to her about doing the show, she said, well, here's how I work. I, I, I pray on it and I dream on it. And then the ideas come to me. And I was like, that is perfect for a midsummer night's dream. And when (laughs) we started seeing her beautiful costume designs and her amazing color palette, it was just, um, just stunning. One of the, one of the great things about this production, Regina's costumes. Mhm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, and the choreography is awesome too. Who's the choreographer? Uh, her name is Lauren Godla and she's just a young, hip Bay Area dancer. Her specialty is dancing suspended from bridges. She does a lot of aerial dancing and choreography. She was just amazing. Um mm-hmm. we loved working with Lauren. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about about the work. Um, and it's um, you know, concluding, um, you know, this 30th anniversary um, season, which is so exciting, uh, you know, for your company. Congratulations again. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm certainly happy to be uh, to have the closing show be this. Uh, mm-hmm great new direction for the company. I mean, it's um, the company has been pushing inclusion for a long time, and, and today we're seeing the results with this production of that coming into its own. And uh, I'm really hoping that more and more uh, actors of, of color in the Bay Area and even farther than that, we have actors, an actor from New York would, would come and grace the stage and share the talent with the, uh, a lot of the population who otherwise wouldn't get to see them because a lot of people just see shows in Marin, and some of them go out to Oakland, San Francisco, Berkeley, but there are some people who are just, you know, travel is, is a bit of a burden, but they are regular patrons to that theater, mm-hmm. and it's good for them to get a chance to see other artists showcase their talent. So I'm loving the direction. Mhm. Yeah. So you're artist in residence, right, Damien? I am. I am. Yeah. yeah. How much longer? Um, 
It's uh, every year we as look long as we can keep them. Well, what I appreciate about Leslie and the company in general, they are they are kind enough to want me there, but they are generous enough to want me to spread my wings. And if something wonderful comes along, they are encouraging me to grab hold of it because it's mm-hmm. they've definitely expressed shown a genuine interest in my well-being and I appreciate that it's, it's, it's good to work for a company that you can feel cares about you and uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate that it makes it easy to show up to work <laughs> right right so for our audience that's not familiar with um the story of a midsummer night's dream. Perhaps you all could share the story and then and then talk about those drives, um, you know, um, to San Francisco um, that you tell us a little bit about um, in in the in the notes for the um, the program notes. Oh yeah, well Leslie, I think that's uh, that's your lane right there. You share that story <laughs> and I just so wonderfully. <laughs> Sure. It's it's actually a very easy to follow and accessible story, but when I start telling it, it's going to sound very complex. (laughs) The story starts with uh, Theseus, who is um, a a great hero of Greek mythology. He had many heroic and romantic adventures. He um, and and the latest his latest adventure is that he's battled against the Amazons, the fierce female warriors, and he has won the queen of the Amazon, Hippolyta, in battle. And the penalty for being bested by Theseus is she has to marry him. She's not too thrilled about this. And um, Theseus has been married several times before. She's a fiercely independent woman, but that's, that's what happens when you get captured in battle. So Theseus is trying to tell her that, may, you know, it's not going to be all that bad being married to me. And he says, I wooed thee with my sword and won thy love doing the injury, but I will wed thee with a different key, with pomp, with triumph, and with reveling. So he's going to have a big party for their wedding. And, it's, and he's trying to say, it's going to be fun being married to me. So he sends the word out that he's looking for the very best entertainment for his wedding celebration a few days off. And then we meet a father named Aegeus who's come to Theseus with his daughter Hermia. And uh, Aegeus has come to ask Theseus to tell Hermia to obey him. Aegeus wants Hermia to marry Demetrius, but Hermia is in love with Lysander and wants to marry him, and Lysander loves Hermia back. Furthermore, Demetrius used to be engaged to Hermia's best friend, Helena, and he dumped her in order to try to marry Hermia. But Aegeus comes and he says to Theseus, tell my daughter she has to obey me and tell her what's going to happen if she doesn't. So Theseus shares the law of the land, which is you either marry the man your father wants you to marry, or you can become a nun and stay a virgin for the rest of your life. Or we will put you to death. Pretty pretty harsh choices there. Um, 
But when Theseus hears about Demetrius's prior relationship with Helena, he decides he needs to talk talk to him about it. And they leave Hermia and Lysander alone on stage, and they decide rather than Hermia joining a, joining a convent or being put to death that they're going to elope. And Lysander has an aunt who lives across the forest on the other side of the forest, and he says, "Let's run away tonight." And we can get married there. My aunt doesn't have any children. I'm her heir. We can have a really nice life on the other side of the forest. So that's what they decide to do. And when Hermia's best friend Helena comes in and expresses how upset she is that her fiancé has dumped her and is trying to marry her best friend, Hermia says to Helena, look, don't worry about it. You're not going to have to... You're not going to have to worry about me any longer. And she shares this secret that she and Lysander are going to elope. Well, Helena decides the best thing to do with that secret is to tell Demetrius and that maybe he'll like her more if she tells him this secret. So that night, Hermia and Lysander run off into the forest. Demetrius <laughs> runs after to try to get Hermia back. And Helena runs after Demetrius to try to get him to love her. So we have all these young people running around in what turns out to be a very magical forest because not only is this forest inhabited by fairies, but also the king and queen of the fairies have come here be right now, and they are having a fight. They're having a big argument, and there's a couple parts to it. Um, the king of the fairies, Oberon, played by Damian Brown, <laughs> accuses Titania, his wife, uh, of having had an affair with Theseus. And he says, you just came here because Theseus is getting married, and you just wanted to come see what that's all about. Now remember, Oberon and Titania are immortal, which means they have been married forever, and they're going to be <laughs> married forever. And over the course of a long marriage, you know, people fight, or even fairies fight, um, spouses fight. So they're fighting, and, and Theseus says, you're, uh, Oberon says, you're just here to see Theseus. And, and Titania says, don't tell me, you know, you're just jealous. Don't, don't talk to me about it. I know you just had a fling with some little shepherdess. Um, and <laughs> they, the accusations fly. Um, Meanwhile, we also learn that Titania has a little boy, a changeling child. His mother used to be a devotee of hers, and they were very close friends. Um, the, this mother would um, sit with her and laugh with her and tell her stories and get her anything she wanted. But she was mortal, and she died, leaving behind this child. And Titania's taken him, and Oberon wants him. And this fight is cosmic because these are the king and queen of the fairies and when they are out of whack and out of alignment all of nature becomes out of alignment as well the roses grow um, on the god of winter and um, storms happen and the humans can't get their crops in and all of nature's out of whack so Titania leaves Oberon and says you know just stop asking me for this child and everything will be just fine. But that's not Oberon's plan. He decides instead that he's going to play a trick on, on Titania. And he has a sort of henchman fairy, Puck, 
who does whatever Oberon asks him to do. Well, Puck is supposed to do whatever Oberon asks him, but Puck is really pretty mischievous. And he loves um, playing practical jokes on people and, and um, making, making, people, um, making people slip up and fall and do things that makes him laugh. But Oberon says to him, I want, this is what I want you to do. Do you remember that time once? We were sitting on a hill looking out over the, over the ocean, and we saw the love god Cupid shoot from his bow an arrow drenched in passion, and it missed its target, and it fell instead on a little flower which used to be white and turned purple with the passion of Cupid's arrow. That flower has magical properties. If you put the juice of that flower in anyone's eyes while they're sleeping, when they wake up, the next thing they see, they'll fall madly in love with. And Oberon says to Puck, go get me that flower. I'm going to put it into Tanya's eyes. We'll make her fall in love with something else, and then I'll be able to get the child from her because she won't care about him so much. And he says, by the way, I saw all these young Athenians running around in the forest, and there was this young woman who was so desperately in love with this young man who wouldn't give her the time of day. Go find that Athenian youth and put the love juice in his eyes too so that he'll fall in love with this young woman. And he's talking about Helena and Demetrius. Well, Puck mm-hmm. gets the flower, finds a sleeping Athenian, but it turns out to be Lysander. So when Lysander wakes up and sees Helena, he falls in love with her, leaving Hermia behind. Oberon gets mad at Puck for screwing up tells him to find Demetrius, which Puck does. Puck puts the love juice in Demetrius's eyes. He wakes up and sees Helena. And now both of the young men who at the beginning of our story were in love with Hermia are now both in love with Helena, much to Hermia's dismay. Meanwhile, when the word went out that Duke Theseus was looking for the best entertainment, a group of amateur actors decided that they were going to write and and uh, rehearse a play. And they're hoping they'll get chosen to perform at the wedding because they think if they get chosen that they'll get some money from it. Now, this is a common fallacy because nobody makes a decent living doing live theater. But uh, these amateur actors think that that they're going to make some money and do the best play ever. They think their play is going to be so good that they don't want anybody else to steal their ideas. So they've snuck off into the forest to rehearse. And one of them, the lead actor, is named Bottom. And Puck puts a magic spell on him and turns him into something uh, fairly weird and grotesque. And that's who Titania sees when she wakes up. So Oberon's able to get the child. Um, there, there's, there's an antidote flower which can take the love juice off of uh, infected people's eyes. Uh, eventually, the young lovers get all sorted out. Titania kind of forgives Oberon, but it's a long marriage. I'm not entirely certain that it's not going to be a little rocky moving forward as well, especially when she figures out the trick he played on her. Theseus has his wedding celebration. Um, the amateur actors perform a, a, a tragedy, which is, the funniest thing you've ever seen. And everybody goes off for their wedding night with the fairy blessing. And that's the story of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. Ta-da. Wow, you tell it really well, Leslie. 
<laughs> yeah, you you're a really great wow. You're a great storyteller. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was very well done. <laughs> so it's so funny. So I'm there on Sunday, um, this past Sunday and Sunday is the last day of summer and uh and it's windy and kinda cold. And then the next day, the first day of autumn, you know, this Monday, two days ago, is mm-hmm. like Oh my God! We're like having record heat um, temperatures, like a heat wave. And yesterday was hot, and today I think it's going to be hot. And then it's supposed to cool down a little later on this week. It's amazing. So we think, wow, a midsummer nice dream during uh, a time of, um, you know, um, we're having a, a climate crisis <laughs> here, yeah. you know, on this planet. Um, and so anyway, yeah. I'm just thinking uh, how apropos, <laughs> you know, sort of the things we think about, um, you know, when we're sitting there or when we're contemplating what's happening on stage and how it sort of resonates with us in our in our lives. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I wish there was a magic flower that could solve our current climate uh, crisis. But unfortunately, there isn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. been more than a few people who have commented on the uh, the monologue from Titania, speaking to the mm-hmm. changing of the seasons, and it is uh, people do feel it. Mm-hmm. People definitely see yeah. that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and you know that's that's the beauty beauty of of art and the beauty of theater. Um, you know, it's it's not just a show. <laughs> It's life, right? It is. And especially working with Regina Evans on this show, we talked a lot about the idea of consent because all of the women in this play um, are, uh, are almost all of the women are forced to have a sexual relationship with somebody or, or, or someone's trying to force them sometimes. It doesn't always work. Mm -hmm. Uh, with somebody who they don't want to have a relationship with. Um, and that is, um, you know, that is that is the world that Regina lives in every day. And um, so even in the most wonderfully silly romantic comedy, there there are undertones of very serious things that are very contemporary. And and that is part of the beauty of Shakespeare, the multi-layered facet and the complete bottomless depth of of these plays. They're not just one thing. They're so rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and you think about the manipulation, right? I mean, that's also, um, you know, sort of thematic in, in this work. Um, you know, we have uh, Lamar Maverick Harrison's wonderful Puck, who is doing the the work of of um you know of his lord you know Oberon you know your character <laughs> Damien and um and and then um but it's still manipulative it's not like um these things are are happening you know naturally if there is such a, such a thing as you know natural in in Shakespeare particularly as comedies particularly you know we're in this magical yeah. force um but then we think about the spirits and, and spirits, the energy. I mean, that is, I mean, I believe that that's a real thing. You know, we do have energies that can, you know, can influence us, you know, um, to do one thing or the other. 
you know, luckily a lot of times we have choice, but if you're if your dreams are being manipulated when you don't like in the ways that you can't control them, it's like, Oh my goodness you know, like, you know, um uh Tatiana, you know, Catherine Smith, um uh, my Glenn's, you know, wonderful queen of, of the uh the fairies, you know, Oberon's uh consort. You know, how she falls in love with an ass. Like, really? Like really? Yeah. I mean and, her and, and, her her consorts yeah. are like, Really, Queen? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> Well, no one knows that what Oberon has done, and that is really my my of course my problem with the character. Oberon is a jerk for that, and um, it of course this was written in the 15th century, uh, so mm-hmm. it's you know, 16th century, and and it was really um, kind of reflective on how the relationship, the dynamic was, the masculine, feminine, and um, wasn't pretty. I don't think it's resolved well, <laughs> you know, especially in these days and times. And I can't help but think that Titania um, is going to definitely have her way in time in an eon of marriage. But mm-hmm. I'm seeing things like that and listening to the story. I am one of those people who firmly believe that we are out of whack in this in the harmony of the universe because I think that we are too um, we're too one-sided with the, uh, the patriarchal masculine energy. I believe that we're, mm-hmm. we've tilted past the breaking point with that. And um, mm-hmm. there needs to be a harmony. And, and that balance has not been achieved. And I personally think that it's not enough because of how far we've gone, it's not enough to bring that into balance. I think in order to get it into the right balance, there has to be a major, a major inoculation, <laughs> you know, from that desire to just take everything to the masculine. We, we need to infuse some feminine principle in this world in heavy doses in order to get there. And it's a hard thing to to give up the changeling child, the quest for that changeling child, and just accept mm-hmm. the queen's wish to have this child with good reason. Because when you hear that mm-hmm. monologue, I mean, Titania speaks in a manner in which any decent, moral, ethical human being should be able to hear, understand, and agree that, okay, mm-hmm. this is your right, and I'll honor it. But that was not there. And that male role belief system of I must have my way, I want what I want, no matter what it costs mm-hmm. you, I think that's part of the problem with this whole imbalance. And I think that the universe reflects that and and our climate change and all of those things. But those are my thoughts. Oh, and I did want to say, Maverick Harris, mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he did a great job. He had a great, you know, physicality in that presence. But we also have Jeremy Marquis playing Puck as well. And he has a, a, his okay. own style that plays mm-hmm. so beautifully throughout the production. So I think we were fortunate to be able to get both looks of Puck's nature. I think that was that was really a treat for those who were able to see both mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So who was on Sunday? Was that Jeremy or that was or that was Maverick? Jeremy Martinez. Okay, yeah, because I was looking Oprah. like yeah. as I was like that doesn't look Maybe. like Maverick. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. Yes. Yeah, he was yes. Jeremy was awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeremy, okay. Jeremy's awesome. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure you'll yeah. see a lot of him in the Bay Area because uh, he is extremely talented. And he mm-hmm. catches on very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah. oh, sorry. Yeah, give our no, audiences no, no, no. the details about this, this coming week. Um, cause this, um, are you extending or is, is um, the run concluding this weekend? Sadly, we are unable to extend, so please come this weekend to see the show. Thursday, Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. 8 o'clock mm-hmm. Thursday, 8 o'clock Friday. There's a student matinee, however, 11 o'clock Friday is also. 8 o'clock on Saturday and closing at 4 p.m. on Sunday. Okay. And one of, the, All right. awesome. one of the lovely things, I'm so happy with this production, um, we received for the first time a Shakespeare in American Communities grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, and that's allowed mm-hmm. us to provide transportation for hmm. um, 1,500 school kids to come see this show and also offer um, a- a classroom visits from some of our actors. Damien's been into the schools, uh, some of the schools already, to talk to the kids about the play. And that's so exciting to me because a lot of the kids who are coming are kids of color, and for them to see a cast that looks like them is um, super exciting. Yes. Wow. Yes, we love all the kids showing up. But I tell you, there's a a special thing. Those East Bay youngsters uh, show up in the place, and you can see the light and feel the energy when they see that heavily melanated cast come on the stage in mass and they just start cheering because there's just unfortunately something they don't expect to see mm-hmm. that should not be so uncommon. So right. it's good yeah. to be able to provide that. So we want to keep doing that. And I a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of uh thanks go to the vision of uh Leslie Bob Perrier and the, the board of Marine Shakespeare Company for seeing the importance of that and moving into action to make certain that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, yeah, I was wondering, um, sort of um, in closing, if, if you all could talk about um, just, um, you know, those those drives that you talk about, um, you know, um, both you um uh, Leslie and Damien, um, you know, sort of driving uh, together, I guess, to Stockton to share yeah. your love of Shakespeare with highly at-risk young men at two youth prisons. Um, yeah, and, um, and and sort of the whole idea of, of this particular um, look to A Midsummer Night's Dream, um, which I don't know. I don't know that I've ever seen this look. You know, having, you know, these uh, these characters in, um, you know, sort of robes and and uh, and costumes that that call to mind, you know, the African uh, continent and the ancient and present, you know, 
nations of of this you know this large place um, that has lots of countries and people think of it as a country mm -hmm. but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yes. yeah, yeah, and um, just sort of what that call what that brings to mind, you know, as we see, you know, um, your character um, Oberon, you know, as an African leader, right, and and his queen. Yes. Um, and and then and then we see you know um, Theseus um, you know Todd uh, Rigsby you know really you know regal c carriage uh, of that particular character and then uh, uh, Hippolyta is that how you pronounce um, the character's name Hippolyta Hippolyta yeah, Hippolyta right yeah Eliza yeah. Um, how do you pronounce Eliza's um, last name Boyvin yeah yes I believe it's Boyvin Eliza Weathens, uh yeah, you know, as an Amazon, you know, goddess that has been captured, and now, you know, this guy, um, you know, so what, he's a king, you know, he's my captor, he's like, I want you to marry me, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you have to marry me, like, there's no choice, and I'm like, you know, all this power, like, these guys just swaggering, right, these, these male characters, just like, all this swag, <laughs> and, you yeah. know, and, yeah, it's like, I ask you, but really, you really don't have a choice. And yeah, so anyway, right. <laughs> to, to his yeah. credit, Theseus. To his credit, Theseus spends the entire play trying to woo Hippolyta and you know mm -hmm. convince her that he's a, he's not a terrible guy and that he's going to treat her really well. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but um, this play was written in a time when. Preachers, ministers from the pulpit would encourage uh, husbands to beat their wives if they weren't um, obedient. And there was a very built-in um, sense of male domination in, in Shakespeare's world. So I think um, understanding that um, the, the culture that this play came out of helps us see similarities and differences to our world today. Yes, it's uh, back to the consent, you know, that's um, sadly something written that long ago can still see shadows of the same problem, Well, not even shadows, but full figures. <laughs> and 2019 is alarming, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's really great, you know, um, sorry to interrupt you, Damien, but it's really great, you know, sort of how in-your-face this is and, and how it may really makes us think about um, sort of these women coming forward um, to talk about um, consent and how the absence of consent has um, has ruined careers, has ruined lives, and, and, and they're not going to be silent anymore. Because this is nothing new. I mean, fifteen hundred, right? <laughs> you know, we're talking about right. this like what? Yeah. So it's really great. You know, it's it goes down lightly because it's a comedy, but it still it lingers. Like I was telling you, like I'm dreaming about the play. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, I I I, yeah, I can't help but think about the uh, the whole move with the Spencers. If you look at the changing child as a, a woman's right to own land and property and through trickery mm -hmm. or legal codes, it's just taken away, you know? 
these mm-hmm. things are played out too often. They played out way too often. So, um, yeah, we have to be we have to be aware of that. So I'm never happy being Oberon. <laughs> I tell the story, but <laughs> I certainly don't mm-hmm. don't agree with Oberon's uh, moral compass. But um, it's it's good for people to see and discuss, especially young people, to see and have an opinion mm-hmm. and express where they are with that. You know, and then it gives an opportunity to talk about, you know, the 1500s and and how these things started to be built up and just dug in. So, yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. going to get back to the uh, the trip, taking taking this same opportunity to to young people who are incarcerated in juvenile prisons, which is a shame. You know, is there are some eye-opening moments for them um, studying the works of Shakespeare as well. And there's also opportunity for them to reach deeper levels of expression from immersing themselves into the works. And um, we've seen some great moments out of these young people in doing monologues and preparing to put on a play and uh, for something that they never thought that they would really have an interest in. Mm-hmm. So um, that's always beautiful to see access is everything. And um, getting rid of that mindset that is so easy to adapt of, yes, but not for me. Mm-hmm. We really want to get rid of that because this planet is theirs as much as it is anyone else who may feel themselves to be at the top of the food chain. You know, the planet doesn't belong any more to them than it does those who are considered by others to be at the bottom of it. So mm-hmm. We want to arm them with that understanding. And um, so it's been good, and it's getting better. Would you say yeah. so, Leslie, from your experience? Um, it's really heartbreaking. The, the young men, they're all... Um, about 16 or 17 to 24 years old and these young men who get incarcerated and who grow up in cells and um, they're, they're some of the most highly traumatized young men from our communities and it's heartbreaking seeing them um, locked in, in prisons and although the prison does a, a pretty good job of providing educational opportunities for these kids. That these these facilities need more. They need more arts programs. They need more vocational programs. They need more um, uh, mental health services for these for these young men if we want them to succeed when they get out of these of these prisons, these youth prisons two words that should never go together. So I think um, the work that Damon and I are doing, we, we see that we're getting through to some of these young men with our message, which is you can do something that you never thought you could do. You are smart. You are creative. You can make different choices. Just like actors get to make different choices on stage, you can make different choices in your life. And mm-hmm. you have a great future ahead of you if if you pursue it. And right. 
you know, Damien is such an, inc- an a- a- astonishing mentor to these young men um, because he spent so much time incarcerated himself. When he says, you don't want to do what I did, you don't want to spend decades of your life in prison, that carries a lot of weight with, with these young men. And Damien has some pretty simple messages. The, you know, if you hang out with um, people who are on a wrong path, you're going you're gonna to end up on a wrong path too. If you hang out with people who are on a right path, you're going to succeed and you're going to, you're going to be able to get onto that path, you know, and some pretty simple messages about don't let someone else control your life. Don't let some gang uh, leader tell you what to do. Can you take autonomy for your own life and your own decisions? You're your own man. Some other lessons like that. And and when Damien speaks, these young men listen and and then we get them to do Shakespeare monologues and scenes and, and and they just are doing something they never thought they could imagine doing. And we hope that then that that they that makes them see that they can do other things that they could never imagine doing. So the work is great. We hate driving to Stockton, but it does give us a lot of time to talk about <laughs> things like um, how we want to put on plays and um, what other programs we might we might um, start and what other projects we might do. So it's yeah. it's great having that time together to plan and think and scheme. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, and I want to let the audience know that um, uh, let's see that you um, uh, let's see the shows are Thursday September twenty sixth eight o'clock, um, Friday September twenty seventh uh, you have an eleven a.m. student matinee that you mentioned, um, and uh, Friday September twenty seventh eight p.m. and there's a pre-show conversation at seven fifteen. Uh, Saturday, September 28th at 6.30 p.m., you have a Shakespeare dinner, and the show is at 8. And then Sunday, uh, the 29th, is 4 p.m., closing performance. What's the Shakespeare dinner? Is that additional cost, or you bring your dinner? and, and what, what is that? It's an, ad- it's an additional cost. It's a catered picnic dinner, and you sit in a special section of our picnic area, and you get an intimate pre-show talk about the play, which your listeners have already heard, but I'll oh. share other <laughs> other thoughts as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, super cool, excellent. Well, uh, my next guest is in the studio. Um, so, right. um, why don't you give the why don't you give the website so people can sort of, you know, be the first to hear about your upcoming season, for um, I guess for. 2021. Um, 2020. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, because it's all in one. It's all in one year, right? 2020. Because you know sometimes they go into the next year. Um, yeah, 2020. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, our website okay. is um, www.marinshakespeare.org. You can buy tickets online. You can get tickets at the door. It's outdoors, under the stars, casual. Um, and and just a lot of fun. Bring a picnic, or you can buy snacks at our concession booth, and you can bring beer and wine. We sell that as well. It's just 
it's just a very casual, fun, outdoor experience with Shakespeare's most wonderful and most wonderfully funny romantic comedy, A Midsummer Night's mm-hmm. Dream. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like you've and never like you've maybe never seen it before. <laughs> right. No, you have never seen this before. And um and then also it's on the uh it's on the grounds of Dominican University. So it's um yeah, that's really lovely as well. Um, you know, um the uh the host institution um for um Marin uh Shakespeare Company. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. And and yeah. And and Damien, um, where are we gonna see yeah. you next? Um, I'll go into a, a brief filming project. I'll disappear for a little while, but the next theatrical appearance will be with uh, Theater First. John Tracy is cooking up another creative, wonderful project. So um, always love working with uh, Theater First because they are a great company to work with as well, and I love John Tracy's vision and what he's doing with Mm -hmm. that company. So, yeah, so... This upcoming season of the theater first. I'll mm-hmm. I'll hang out there for a second. So I hope you guys will okay. come out and support. All righty, cool. Well, have a wonderful um, closing weekend, and um, yeah, you got a lot lot going on. And thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule, um, Leslie and Damien, to talk to us about ah a midsummer night's dream as no one has ever dreamed. <laughs> Well, one is always a pleasure. Never work. It's always a pleasure to uh, converse with you, Wanda. We appreciate you immensely. (laughs) Oh, you're quite welcome. (laughs) Keep up the great work. You're doing some wonderful, wonderful theater on and off the stage, both of you, you know, um, and, you know, taking, taking Shakespeare into these places and spaces that, are so you know so worthy and 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 so so necessary, but you know um, they can't come to us. So you take the work to them. So that's really wonderful. Right. Yeah, young Thank people are you so important. Much. All right. Thank you. You take Thank care. You. You're welcome. Have a good right. rest of the day. You too. Thanks. Be well. Thank you. Peace and blessings. You too. You too. Bye. Bye. Hi, Stella. How are you? Finally. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. Thanks for hanging in there. We can have the full half an hour. <laughs> oh, great. Great. Yeah, yeah. So, wow, you have the Billy Holiday Project. We've been going back and forth. Feels like a month. I know. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah like, when are we going to talk about it? So, we're going to talk yeah. about it. So, yeah. So, you're celebrating the music of Lady Day. In one I evening, am. like gosh, just one evening, Thursday, yeah. October tenth, yeah. eight o'clock at Nico Hotel, twenty two, yeah, two 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 Mason Street in San Francisco, and people can have their dinner and they can have their drinks and they can just go sit back and just have you just sort of tell them the story, you know, with music and and um, and theater. You know about this wonderful woman, you know, Billie Holiday, and uh, you, you know, we can't, you know, we can't hear about her enough because there's so many aspects mm-hmm. to her life, and some people just know, you know, one part of her life. You know, maybe yeah. you know that strange fruit story, or you know, some of the other early early life story. You know, like, you know, the work that she was doing because, 
Yeah, she didn't live long, but she definitely had a full, full life. She did, yeah. That's part of why I wanted to create the the show is to kind of break the stereotype or the kind of um, like a drug addicted victim kind of stereotype that that kind of really gets pigeonholed into. Uh, she had so much more to her. She was really a dynamic person and a well rounded mm-hmm. person. And I want to kind of give that that image of her. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the picture on your postcard is so pretty, you know. You got oh, thank you. you know, the gardenias in your hair and you've got this sort of um beautiful sort of far away look, you know, on your oh. on your face. Yeah. Um yeah, thank what's you. what's going through, yeah, like as your lady day, but you're not lady day. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's been so what's going I mean I have mind? to Right. It's, I have to connect all of the songs uh, that she sang and now I'm singing. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. she would always say she couldn't sing a song unless she felt it, unless it connected to her in some way. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. that's the same for me. You know, I have to I have to feel the story. And there's some of her repertoire that I don't connect to as much and some that I just fall in love with, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I have to really feel the song to be able to sing it. So... That's really how I've chosen my my repertoire from her stuff, and then taking into consideration like what people know and uh, of her work, and then trying to add in as well um, some of her early stuff that I really love that people don't know as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, so tell us about um, sort of is this is this a project that you've um, presented before, or is this mm-hmm. a debut? No, we've been we've been touring it around the Bay Area okay. since mm-hmm. February, um, and it's mm-hmm. been very successful. Um, we've sold out several houses. We just played last um, a couple weekends ago at the Mystic Theater in, in Petaluma and had a great audience. Um, and then after Feinstein's, we'll be at Cumbua Jazz down in Santa Cruz on the mm-hmm. 19th of, of October. And then after that, we're actually mm-hmm. going to New York City, where I used to live, and uh, oh. and playing a couple concerts there. Oh, nice, nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. So tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you know how you came because I I noticed some from your website that you know that you're also a teacher, and mm-hmm. um, so how how did you come to um, see? I don't know if you grew up in New York, but you said you're from New York um, presently, and uh, just wondering if you could maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and. Sure. And and why you wanted to do this particular project? Sure. Um, I actually grew up here. I grew up in Petaluma. Oh. Um, and okay. I lived in New York City. I went to school at, in Syracuse for acting, actually, and did a lot of classical oh, really? acting. Um, yeah. And actually, it's a small world. I I was uh, when I first moved back here, I was uh, in one of Marin Shakespeare's productions of Cymbeline. So it was nice to listen to your last interview a little bit. Um, <laughs> oh, seriously, yeah. so you know Leslie and her husband. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, oh, I do, yeah. Wow, that's great. <laughs> yeah, they're wonderful, and I love I love the work that they do there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to try and catch the show if I can. So anyway, uh, I lived in New York City after I went to Syracuse for about five years, and I was doing the acting mm-hmm. life and uh, pounding the pavement, going to auditions, and I got hired for a lot of Shakespeare and played uh, mm-hmm. in regional shows around the country. And then I moved back here um, in 2014, end of 2014, 
And I decided to kind of switch my focus to music, which was my first love, really. And um, mm-hmm. and so I started a band called uh, French Oak Gypsy Band, and it's very much eclectic world music, French chanson and, and gypsy jazz mixed with, like, New Orleans mm-hmm. and traditional jazz. And mm-hmm. I still have that project uh, going on, but we're changing our name to Band Django. And... Um, and so then it was a few years after I started that that I decided to dive into Billy's music. And I really, I've mm. always gravitated towards the 1930s style jazz. Um, I was just really like that era. And, and Billy really was, was making her, you know, she was really rising in that era. era. So I, I wanted to sing music from that, that time period and also pay homage to, to a singer that I've loved since I was a girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Wow, interesting. So you grew up in Petaluma. I did, yes. Yeah, wow. When I think of Petaluma, I sort of think of it's not it's not a big city town. Um, it's not, and yeah. it was even smaller when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and you know, I don't, I don't, you know, um, I, don't, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone that grew up there. Um you know, person of African yeah. descent. Like when I think of Petaluma, uh-huh. I don't think about black people. Um, oh no! Yeah. yeah, I was one of the only ones. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And I see a lot more diversity these days. Uh, walking around Sonoma County in general, which makes me happy. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, when I was a kid, it was it was a little bit lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also I think about when I think about Petaluma, I think about sort of agrarian culture. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. what it was like then, but it wasn't all like built up, so you could actually mm-hmm. know where your food comes from. And mm-hmm. and I know yeah. they had chicken farms in Petaluma because I in one of my courses yeah. in graduate school we read about this Jewish um, farmer, <laughs> and he had he had a chicken farm. <laughs> <laughs> I had chickens growing up. I grew up in a on a farm. Oh, <laughs> with a nice garden and and chickens. I did. Yep. Oh, how lovely. Wow. Yeah. So you really you really do you're sort of like close to the earth, uh, where you were anyway, um <laughs> when yeah. you were younger. Oh wow yeah, that sort of puts a whole I, other I perspective on things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. right. Oh yeah, I really I actually really loved my up- upbringing um in Petaluma. Just being on on the land that I grew up in, on and um and I still feel very clo- close to nature and, and um yeah. I, I think it was a great upbringing. Oh, neat, neat. So, so tell us about your your Billy Holiday. Yeah, it's been it's been really fun to really dive into her um, work, and then so a lot of the work was was kind of blending her voice with my own voice, and um, mm-hmm. so studying like like mechanically how I how I would create how she sounded, and then adding in my own voice to it and I can do it to varying degrees you know but it's been really fun to kind of play around with it and then you know as a vocalist I, I'm I'm so interested in, in the voice and the mechanics of the voice and, and just having all these different tools that I can use um, mm-hmm. and, and anything that I sing really and so studying her has given me this whole new range of tools that I can, I can dive into um, as far as sounds or textures or colors or timing that I add into my, to my, how I interpret a song. Mhm. 
Right. Yeah. So are any of um for instance your repertoire for for the for the uh for the project um mm-hmm. are you mentioned that you know some of these songs are not songs that people might hear a lot mm-hmm. associated with Billie Holiday. Um I'm not sure how you know sort of how large her her body of work is. Like I don't know how many songs that Oh I, yeah, probably, I don't know exactly how many. But it's yeah. it's really big. It's it's quite big. Okay. Like when she first recorded, she recorded at, at least three albums before she was really well known, and, and it was with pianist Teddy Wilson um, and Benny Goodman. She did a couple songs with Benny Goodman too. Um, and mm-hmm. these songs, most of them are not super well known. There are a couple ones that she sang through her career, like What a Little Moonlight Can Do. She sang that from mm-hmm. that very beginning recording to the, her her last recordings. And so those ones she's really well known for, but there are a lot of songs that are that are really quirky, and um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't know about. And then she also she toured with the Count Basie Big Band and recorded with them quite a lot. And so there are songs from that era that are not super well known too. And so it's fun to kind of uh, the way it's it's I've sort of constructed the show is kind of an arc of her life. Um, mm-hmm. And so it you know going from her early stuff to her middle stuff to her famous stuff somewhat and then telling stories in between the songs. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So so tell us about, you know, sort of Billie Holiday um because um that's her stage name, right? And mm-hmm. um and um yeah, and I don't I don't remember like when she was born and where she was born. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, I, I know she she didn't come from uh, a place of you know like her family wasn't well to do. Um, oh yeah. And no. I, I remember her her mother. I think her mother um, worked um, as um, uh, not like I don't know like a housekeeper or something like that. Um, yeah. 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 And, yeah. Mm-hmm. So she was born in 1915 um, in Philly, but she spent most of her like uh, growing up years in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And um, and she was born to the name Eleanor Fagan. And uh, I'm not exactly sure when her and her mother moved to New York City, uh, to Harlem. Uh, but when she started, you know, gigging in Harlem and, and realized that she was uh, good at singing. Um, she took the name Billie Holiday, and Billie was after a, a movie star from like the talkie from before they were talkies, so a silent film star named Billie, and she liked that star a lot, and so she took that name. And Holiday was her father's last name. <coughs> mm-hmm. And then she also has like the nickname Lady Day, which was given to her by Lester Young, her like dear friend and musical soulmate, really, um, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, so Lady, she's known by well, famously known by Lady Day and Billie Holiday, but mm-hmm. those were her three names, and she considered Harlem home <coughs> um, once she was established there. That was her. That was where she really connected to. I think the result. She her her childhood was was difficult. You know, she was she was raped, um, and she wasn't well off. Um, she was in whorehouses quite a lot. Um, I don't know if she worked for them. <clears throat> it's kind of um, it's unknown whether she worked there or was a cleaning lady there. Sorry, my voice is not working. Um, 
but she, you know, it was not an easy, easy childhood. Right, yeah, because she, she called um, Lester Young the prayers, right? Yeah, yeah, she did. Right, yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, that seems like a real, real wonderful, magical relationship the two of them had. Yeah. yeah. Would you would you say that, like, I don't know, um, she seems like a real tragic figure, Um and when mm-hmm. I when I think about what I read about her, um, mm-hmm. you know, like she's such a talent, but yeah, she, you know, the men that come into her life, um, similar to men coming into the lives of a lot of women artists, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. sort of really twist things in a way that it can't it can't come out, you know. Um, for you know, it can't be a good anything good, you know, as a result for yeah. you know, mm-hmm. for um for Lady Day, Billy Holiday. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. And, and and sort of that kind of spins it out. I mean, you know, you think about sort of the cabaret card thing around the legality mm-hmm. around being able to perform and you know, and that's just sort of racism and white supremacy, you know, with oh yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the folks that own everything. Similar to now, right? Like one yeah. entity owns all the clubs, and if you want to mm-hmm. play, you got to dance the way they tell you to dance. Um, right. Otherwise, you have nowhere to perform. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No matter how wonderful you are, which you know, which she is and which she was. Right. Yeah. Right. So, why don't you could talk a little bit about the politics and and then and then you know um, and then the drugs that you know we hear about sort of. I mean, even I mean, it seems like drugs were always around, have always been around. I mean, you can get them, you know, through from your doctor, <laughs> or you can get them on the street. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there and there are different ways and reasons why people end up, you know, sort of um, succumbing to the addiction, um, uh-huh. which is really unfortunate because then it then the addiction seems to run your life. But um, right. yeah, so we just talk a little bit about the politics of the era and yeah, and absolutely. and drugs and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I play with some some older musicians uh, that were around mm. in in this in Billy's day, and you know they, they can say kind of like yeah, um, really, you know, so oh. they can say kind of the the stereotype that or like the, what what these these famous people were known for, and Billy, mm-hmm. you know, she had this kind of reputation of of ending up with the worst guy in the room, you know. If there was mm. there was a bad guy in there, she would find him and and that that's who she would go home with, right? Mm-hmm. And so her her first um husband, uh Jimmy Monroe, was just a really dark dark person and um nobody liked him. She was the only one who saw any any good in him. And he is the first one that introduced her to to heroin and to drugs. And she had oh. the kind of personality where she just I've, she addictive personality, I think, you know, and mm-hmm. so anything that made her feel good, whether it was, you know, good music, good food, um, good drugs, you know, good company, she she gravitated toward it, and um, it maybe eased some of her her pain. Um, but yeah, I mean, racism was was huge in her story, and um, it's it's nice to be able to bring that forward. Um, Mm-hmm. In the show, because you can't sing "Strange Fruit" without it coming up, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> and so, um, but yeah, so she she was busted for drugs and and was 
told to plead guilty, um, which mm-hmm. meant that she lost her cabaret card and couldn't perform in all the places that she she was performing in New York, and her career was just, you know, soaring. And they wanted to make an example of her um, as, mm-hmm. you know, cracking down on, on drug use. And uh, and it really punished her, and it, she wasn't able to make her, her living, her existence, and do what she loved, really, you know. And at the same time, she was able to play places that didn't serve alcohol. You know, so she, after she was out of jail, she booked Carnegie Hall and sold it out, you know. And so it was just, mm-hmm. it was it was hard. I think it was it was a very hard thing for her. And then her managers and her, her second husband um, was abusive, and, and he was a manager of hers as well, and, you know, physically and emotionally abusive. Um and yeah, she 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 had bad luck in a lot of things, um, but she gave so much, so much mm-hmm. gifts with her music. Yeah, yeah. What happened with her mother? Ah, uh, she was very close with her mother, um, mm-hmm. Sadie Fagan, and Lester Young gave her the the nickname the Duchess. Um, mm-hmm. And her mother, she she passed away. Um, kind of middle middle of Billy's career and that mm-hmm. it was that was a hard hard blow for her I know um mm-hmm. and she she always was her father was not in the picture really but she had a kind of romanticized idea of him I think and um and he died uh somewhere in the south and uh earlier on I think it was in the 30s mm-hmm so so what's your hope for um for the project um you know presenting it in uh you know in the 21st century 2019 mm-hmm. a time when uh women are 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 claiming their power and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. and um and a lot of the women that are we see are celebrities because Mm-hmm. I mean, it's happening in everyday life, but those folks yeah. aren't people that you see on the news. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or or you know, getting spotlights. Um, so, so what's uh-huh. your hope for the work? You know, um, you know, because you know, you're right. This is a brilliant woman, and mm-hmm. uh, and and you know, if if uh, if the uh, the story is, you know, um, if if there is a, uh, you know. Um, a character in the room that is the least worthy, she's attracted mm-hmm. to him, and she goes mm-hmm. home with him. Like, what is that? Yeah, um, yeah right. I was wondering sort of what what your, um, you know, sort of like what's the takeaway, and and what has been the mm-hmm. takeaway because you you know you've been performing this you know quite a bit, which is yeah. awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, well, there there are a few things that are kind of my objectives with this project. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love jazz deeply, and mm-hmm. um, I it makes me sad that it's kind of slipping into obscurity because it it's mm. it's born out of you know racism and um, slavery you know, but it's this beautiful art form that is truly American, and I think it should be celebrated and taught in schools and that everybody should have an understanding and know the great figures of jazz as American figures, you know? 
um, mm-hmm. and that it, you know, it should really be held up and celebrated as an American art form. But I think that our um, continued discomfort with our past, with this, this not, you know, um, this somewhat shameful past, is this very shameful past, really, um, is kind of holding us back in, in celebrating something that is so wonderful. And so that is something that I want to pass forward is, is to this celebration of jazz music. And then there's the story of Billy and, and this woman that is, is so complex and so beautiful um, that often, you know, you have this idea, oh, I can kind of write Billy off as, as a tragic, you know, jazz singer figure, you know. But I want people to understand this complexity and, and the complexity of the times that she lived and became quite famous in. Um, and then, yeah, just passing it up forward to to next generations is is what I want to do. I was really happy with our with our show at the Mystic because a lot of them are 21 and up if we're playing in a club or something like that. Um, but they mm-hmm. allowed young people um, um, because a lot of us are teachers to come and attend the the concert and and they loved it, you know. And it was it's mm-hmm. it really needs to be passed forward in that way, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had had they known um, of her other than just knowing her name? Some of them have. Yeah, some of them knew about her, and and I talk to audience members a lot, and it always makes me happy when young young people or younger people um, know about Billy, and she really does. You know, she does transcend um, a lot of a lot of um, age or or you know different demographics i've i've found that you know she's she's quite popular still you know people are very interested mm-hmm. in her and her life uh which is great i i really am happy that about that i had one interesting comment at uh it was a show in napa and it was a latino woman that came up and and because i talk about race and because i talk about um uh kind of the african-american struggle um a bit in the show um, she came up and, and, you know, there's so much strife right now with, with people from Mexico and the border and and all of this, you know, and, and there's so much pain there. Um, mm-hmm. And so she came up to me and she says, you know, I really appreciate what you're saying in the show and, and these things that you're bringing forward. And and she said it, it made her sad because the her music uh, expresses their pain, it expresses their story, but nobody understands Spanish, you know. And so, mm-hmm. and so they can't that's lost in translation and she I could feel this like real struggle from her on um on on that plight of wanting to have her song represent her her culture and her her troubles um but not having a means of communication and not being able to bridge that that gap um so it's something that stuck with me in it and I've kind of been thinking about it in my other band I sing in Spanish a lot and I've been trying to add in more more Spanish songs Mhm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking about um just sort of um how uh the work is is really um, you know, kind of current presently, you know, we think mm-hmm. about, you know, what they call the opioid um mm-hmm. uh you know, sort of, you know, there are a lot of folks that are addicted to um to opioids, um, and, yeah. and you just sort of think about the ways of that, and how now that it looks the way it looks, you know that it's it's in you know it's in the dominant culture, not 
you know, a black thing. <laughs> right. Or yeah. a people yeah, of color true. thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, it, it's yeah. a crisis. Like, all right, well, it's yeah. it's been a crisis for a long time, you know, when you know, crack been, cocaine yeah. was dumped in our communities, you know, when during the CIA, mm-hmm. you know, Contra yeah. stuff and, you know, just sort of trying to shut down the black liberation movement. Um mm-hmm. So anyway, um, <laughs> so you know you have that that sort of resonance, um, and and then you know you just you know just have that sort of that, you know just how important artists are, you know, mm-hmm. to to yeah. the culture, to to the nation, you know, and telling those stories about people that are not you know on the front page, but they are a part of the fabric of what this nation is, and and mm-hmm. you know with the uh, four hundred years of African-American History Commission, you know, sort of looking at Mm -hmm. those first Africans to come into, you know, um, Port Comfort, um, uh, the the Fort uh, Monroe, now National Monument at Hampton, you know, Virginia. And so, you -hmm. know, we're sort of looking like, well, really sort of like revisiting that, that story of how this nation began, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and our people are right there, front and center, right there, sixteen, mm-hmm. nineteen. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that you're doing this project this year is is really really great, and you know, and you're taking it yeah. around and having these conversations. That's that's really yeah. awesome. It it feels really good. It feels really important, and I think I I really like the you know, the conversations that come up after the show and, and, you know, the appreciation of, of adding more complexity to this, this story. Um, I'm mm-hmm. excited also that I just, I just found out the United States versus Billy Holiday is going to come out, I think next year with Andrew Day as, as Billy Holiday. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm excited at the, the, just, you know, the more uh, public eye level that, that Billy will get with that, you know, Hollywood film. <laughs> so Oh, yeah. So so tell us about that. I, I didn't know about the film. What's I don't know I don't know a story? ton about it, but I think it's <laughs> focusing on the trial, um yeah. where uh Billy was convicted for drugs and, and that whole you know, I as I as I know it, there was there was really one guy that really targeted her, um, as mm. the, an example, uh, to crack mm. down on drugs. And so I think it, it will I don't know exactly what the script is going to be like, but I think it focuses on that chapter of her life. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so maybe because yeah. um, uh, this, this particular um, year, um, she died in 1959, so this, this is she 2019. Yeah. 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 So this is one of those, you know, um, uh, significant um, uh, times to sort of honor her, her life. Right. Legacy, yeah. April seventh, nineteen fifteen to July seventeenth, nineteen fifty nine. I mean, like she was just forty four years old. Like, oh my goodness. I know. That's a young woman. She was. Mhm. She was. Yeah. 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 And then you think about the compounded kind of uh, traumas, you know, that she lived through. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, being raped as a child and having to, Mm -hmm. to work so hard, you know, for a living. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, she and her mother. Um, and and then you know her her daydreams about you know a father figure, <laughs> and yeah. and then and, she and then these predators of, like, children. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Sorry, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I just cut you off. 
No, no, she wanted like you said, she She wanted that ideal life. Yeah, she Mm -hmm. wanted that ideal life with a white picket fence and a and a good man, and she really, really wanted children. I think above all, all she wanted Mm -hmm. children, but never did have them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just think like, wow, if if there could have been like someone to step in and and act as a buffer, you know, that really mm-hmm. loved her, right? As opposed to wanting yeah. what she yeah. what she had. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this this story could even because you know predators, you know, they 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 still exist. <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of these stories of exploitation that people are coming for. Yeah, when I really wanted to, you know, when I wanted to get this part in this particular film, I had to do da 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 da. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah so, oh, yeah. Mhm. So, yeah, you know, just hearing this story, you know, young people can think about how they have a choice. Um, mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you don't have to sell yourself, sell your soul for a part. You know, there's there's such oh. a thing as as dignity and having standards and and mm-hmm. and being able to talk to other people about hmm, mm-hmm. this doesn't feel right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you definitely if there's a film coming out, then you definitely need to um continue with your project next year too. <laughs> oh yeah, we're we're booked all through next was, year so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. seriously? Okay. So, yeah, so are, people yeah. should go to your website then, huh, to find out yeah, sort of where yeah. where the uh, the project is appearing next. So why don't you give us your website um, sure, yeah. so it's, that people can stay in touch? Yeah. It's www.billyholidayproject.com is that website. And then you can find more about my other projects on my website, which is www.stellaheathmusic.com. Okay, cool, cool. And can people get tickets um, now for the October 10th um, uh, show at, uh, okay, at Feinstein at uh, Hotel Nico or Nico Hotel? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there should be a ticket link on the website, so you can find tickets there. Okay, cool, super. Um, Is there anything that um, you wanted to share about the project or about you know anything else you're um, doing creatively or about yeah your 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 work as as a teacher <laughs> educator yeah sure um yeah I, I love teaching voice and you know beginning music as well um i teach in in the east bay in lafayette um and i teach up here in the north bay where i live and uh, I really love love teaching, and I love exploring the voice. It's a really complex instrument. And um, let's see, my my other band. I've got you know exciting things coming up with that, which is band Django. Um, this Friday we have a CD release party in the city, um, oh. which is at Red Poppy Art House. Um, oh, um, I like Red Poppy. At 7 p.m. I know I love that venue. It's such a sweet, intimate um, space. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and what's oh, yeah, the uh, what's the CD? Uh, what's it called? It's it's subtitled, so it's called Banjango Collective, and it's a lot of okay. French French music, uh, some Edith Piaf songs on the album, and then American um, older American jazz. Mhm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. So, is this um, your first CD with uh, the Banjango Collective, or which which album is this for? 
for the group? Um, so it's technically the second CD with this band, um, but we've had a name change. So the first one was under our first name, French Oak, and this next mm-hmm. one, this one is, is self-titled for our, our new name. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of, the, the I, I consider it the second CD. Okay. Oh, I wish I had a song I could play it as we conclude our conversation. Oh, you have to send me some I music. I sent you an email. There's some. Both of those projects are in there. So. Oh. Okay. You sent me an email. Oh, here it is. <laughs> oh. Oh yeah, you sent me a lot while I was talking to you. Okay. Oh darn. Alrighty. Um. Yeah, you sure did. Oh, that's cool. Oh, nice. All righty. Well, we will definitely play something on Friday <laughs> and remind Thank people you. to, Very you know, much. definitely check yeah. you out of the, uh, the Red Poppy uh, Art House. And, oh, that sounds real. Congratulations. Oh, that's so Thank cool. You. You're, like, Thank really you. busy. That's so neat. I am really so, busy. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. Are you, um, are you from Louisiana, too? Like, do you have uh, Louisiana ancestry or something? Because you mentioned... Um, I don't Liking the old music. Okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've always gravitated toward it. Like, Louis Armstrong was, like, my my first love. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I have a CD growing up that I just, like, I knew it backwards and forwards. And um, mm-hmm. and he's he's been, like, a thread throughout my, my musical um, career. Um, when I sing with my, my band, uh, Banjango, I do kind of a trumpet sound vocally. Um, which mm-hmm. is fun and, and people really like it, but it's it's right from from Louis. It's it's one of like his influences for sure. And um, I don't I don't know exactly where my ancestry is from. I haven't done like a genealogy test or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I've always just felt a <clears throat> deep kinship for New Orleans and the music of New Orleans. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try to pull something out the Billy's Blues really quickly, see if I yeah. can get that uh, so people can hear a little bit, your Billy, nice. Billy's Blues mix. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see if we can play that um, before I go off the air. But, uh, yeah, it's been, been really, really lovely to finally talk to you, and I'm really looking forward yeah. to um to hearing um, your work, gosh, I'm trying to think, why can't I come to your CD party? That sounds really nice. Oh, yeah, um, I'd love to meet you in person, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, got to see what I have on Friday um, <laughs> and see if I can move it around. <laughs> yeah, because it would be really great because uh, the Red Red uh, Poppy House is like such a nice, intimate space. It and is. You're like, it is. yeah, you can see people's faces. It's like really nice. <laughs> It really is. I know. I know. I love. I think it's a really unique spot, and I've always loved playing there. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like, you know, sort of the history around the founding of it and all of that. Uh-huh. It's just, um, yeah. just really, really, really wonderful. Um, and uh, yeah. And so, do you do you happen to know the address um, uh, for um, for the Red Poppy um, Art House? For those that are um, not familiar with it, not off the top of my head. I can look it up real quick. Okay, I'm kind of like stalling, just you know, trying to refresh because <laughs> <laughs> I like to for your voice. Is, you uh huh. The address is two six nine eight Folsom Street, in the Mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the show's at seven o'clock. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's really easy to get there. I, I took BART when I went the last time, and uh-huh. it was walking distance from the BART station. So people don't have to drive. Oh, nice. It's kind of hard to find parking yeah. in that area. Yeah, it is hard to find parking in that area. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a super sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It is. And oh, it's ready. So cool. I can pay, play uh, yeah. Billy's Blues. You want to tell us anything about <laughs> Billy's Blues before we play it? This is one of the songs that she wrote the lyrics to, um, mm. and probably the music to It's a Blues form. Um, mm-hmm. I think it really speaks to her, like, kind of sultry, womanly nature. Um, which I like to, I think that it's wonderful that she always celebrated her, her womanliness, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a great, great tune and it's her most recorded tune. Actually, she recorded it 22 times. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, sort of her, um, you know, celebrating her, her womanliness. Um, Yeah. She was, Mm -hmm. you know, she definitely didn't shrink from being a black woman like, you know her no, carriage really and, and yeah, and yeah mm-hmm. she she definitely occupied her her body. <laughs> she did. I know. She was, I know. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. Completely respect yeah. that about her. Mm-hmm. And she stood yeah. up for herself. You know, she would she would beat a guy up if he were a bigot at a bar. You know, she and mm-hmm. Bessie Smith. That was one of her influences. She was she was very much the same. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's great calling the name of Bessie Smith. Love her, her work. Yeah, yeah, another yeah. woman who who was a great. She was a great businesswoman. It's too bad. Um, yeah, you know she she predates you know Billie Holiday and yeah, and um, Billie Holiday wasn't able to like lean on her because if she uh-huh. had if she had Bessie Smith in her corner, I'm sure those men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, they're taking advantage yeah, right. of her like they did because, like, right. no, we don't want to mess with her because Mama Betty yeah. don't get us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I was just thinking, um, uh, another thought I was having, you know, just sort of thinking about that book that Angela Davis wrote about, you know, mm-hmm. the blues women. And um, uh-huh. I think it's um, the Billie Holiday, Bessie Smith, and... And I think there was a third. I'm not sure exactly the title, mm-hmm. but he was just talking about yeah. that blues tradition, and and you mentioned yeah. that um, um, that Billie Holiday wrote um the music for the work, and I guess the lyrical mm-hmm. content as well. Did she write yeah. a lot of her music? And I was oh, okay, because a lot of a lot of she, times, like you know, I was thinking about Nancy Wilson. She didn't write her songs. She, you know, she made them her the own, jazz. but she didn't write singers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of the jazz singers at that time didn't write their own music. Billy was a, kind of one mm-hmm. of the only ones that did. Oh. And you know, if it were something, mm-hmm. if it was something like a blues form, it, it's easy enough that she could write the the chords to it. But I think a lot of times she wrote, if it were a more complex jazz song, she wrote the lyrics mm-hmm. to them, um, like mm-hmm. "God Bless the Child," uh, "Lady Sings the Blues." She she wrote the lyrics to, and then the blues is that she wrote were fine and mellow, uh, Billy's blues, now baby or never. Uh, she also wrote Don't Explain, and I think she might have written both the, the music and the lyrics to Don't Explain. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's, she's she's one of the only ones that actually was writing music. Um, and mm-hmm. she, she, you know, everybody wanted to make her, they wanted to call her a blues singer. She definitely had blues elements, and she incorporated, uh, like, the blues scale and, and the way that she sang. And she, you know, sang sang the heart of the blues, right? But um, mm-hmm. she didn't want to be called a, a blues singer. She she considered herself a jazz singer. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and how how does she define like the differences? Like how does she, like what is a jazz singer versus what is a blues singer? Because um, I know they all like start from uh-huh. you know the uh, the the Negro spiritual coming forward. Right. Know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in that, in like the 1930s, the swing era, you know, was was big, and so it, the mm-hmm. form was okay. changing. You know, so like in Bessie Smith's era, it was it, she was a blues singer for sure. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. it was it was before amplification, so she had this big, full voice and was singing a blues form, like a 12-bar blues form, in different variations. Mm-hmm. You know, and then um, when the swing era came, it, it changed around and it became you know, dancing was the focus and, and the form, like the jazz form would change. And so then it, we started to enmask this, the, the jazz standards, you know, and then these songs that were written in that swing era and, um, and on into like the fifties, sixties, you know, um, mm-hmm. where there's that American canon of jazz standards. And so then it became, you became more of a jazz singer. You, you there were more jazz singers that came around like Ella Fitzgerald came after Billy and Sarah Vaughn and Nina Simone and Nancy Wilson and all, you know, all those great, you know, um, I consider mm-hmm. them to be more jazz singers than blues singers. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. So cool. So we're going to play uh, Billy's Blues and uh, it's a part of, I'm sure, the uh, the Billy Holiday Project. Again, mm-hmm. uh, led by uh, Stella Heath, and um, it's going to be at uh, Feinstein at Nico Hotel on Thursday, October 10th, 8 o'clock, and there are tickets now, but don't wait till the last minute because the room <laughs> is finite. <laughs> you don't need to get yeah. in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's only one evening, like, oh, my goodness. Is there any chance that they might extend it, like, through the weekend, like Friday, Saturday? Um, at Feinstein? Uh-huh. Probably not. They they usually they oh. book like cabaret acts from or from New York City often, um, oh. and so their weekends are you know they they bring in you know like Tony dominated um, stars from New York uh, that do mm-hmm. like their own solo show a lot of times. Okay. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's kind of nice that they booked a local uh, act uh, at at the at the Feinstein's at the Nico, and uh, they're very mm-hmm. sweet very sweet um, company. Nice. Oh, that's good. That's good. Wow. Well, again, it's really wonderful um, speaking to you finally. And, gosh, I'm really going to try to move some things around. I'll let you know for sure once I know about uh, coming to your your, uh, release party. But I'll certainly play some music um, from your your CD on my my Friday show and and let people know, again, you know, that they can catch you all that evening um, at 7 p.m. at Mm -hmm. The Red um, uh, Poppy Art House. Red Poppy. And the Mission. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. So you have a good rest of the day. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Wanda. All right. Peace and blessings. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.
Every sin of good and man 